Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Event Industry News Podcast. Um, today, I am joined by Ashante Bentaljew, an equality and inclusion expert. Um, Ashanti, along with Gabrielle Austin Brown, have recently launched Diversity Ally, a consultancy service and membership organisation which helps to, uh, which aims to help events, mice, and hospitality businesses become more diverse and inclusive. Ashanti, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Uh, you know, we we've we've chatted in the past, and I think this is definitely something that's on everybody's radar right now, right? Um, and, yeah. and it should be. Um, and I wanted to take the opportunity to talk to you, to educate myself a little bit better, absolutely. Yeah. And I think most of our readers and listeners are also trying to do that at the moment. But before we jump into Diversity Ally and why you launched that with Gabrielle, mm. can you just give us a little bit about your background? Because you don't just do this right in the events industry. Yeah. Things. So how did you get started <laughs> in events and, and, and how does that look? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for, you know, even giving the space on your platform to talk to us. Um, so my background is I did the traditional conventional thing and went to university and had a career in law and finance. Okay. Uh, and one day I went on holiday to Barbados um, and I just had a moment where I thought, right, now is the time for me to do something I've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I love obviously kind of hotel culture, bringing people together and Barbados obviously that was all around me yeah. and so when I came back to London I decided to resign from my banking job and I started um, building an online community and the way to do that was by doing events and so I used to bring people together from all over the world it was all it was in a community that was about women in the food industry cool. yeah. and so that's what I did now the trouble with that was is that I enjoyed the bringing the people together part but I didn't really understand or grasp how to monetize that yeah. so basically I ran out of my savings pretty quickly um and but the thing that stayed was the the online events element because that was the the cheapest actually free yeah. way of marketing what I did and then eventually people just kept asking me how did you build this community using online tools and that's when EventMind which is my main bread and butter business was born and so EventMind as you see it today is an evolution really of that online community um, and so I started running events for other people as part of their marketing using just digital and virtual tools and then we really started digging deeper into the virtual event space so that's how um, I came to be a supplier essentially in so, the events industry. So you were like super early everybody that thinks like yeah. virtual events are something new <laughs> since the since the coronavirus and the pandemic and and you know we're recording yeah. so we kind of still are in the midst of it yeah you guys were right there in fact you were sounds to me like you were quite a pioneer at the time of you know yeah to, to, to do online events absolutely and i think um obviously in those days you used things like facebook you mm -hmm. used um YouTube, you used free social media platforms as a way to connect people on live stream. That was a, I remember when live streaming really became a thing on Facebook and we dug deep and used it and we used to get great interaction engagement and lots of clients. And so, yeah. And back then I used to talk about Love Island, for example, as a, this kind of virtual event and people used to think I was crazy. <laughs> but now 
when you look at Love Island, the way ITV really plan and run that show, that is literally a, I guess it's the hybrid, right? Because it's yeah. taking place in the villa, but then it's the virtual stuff that really keeps that show alive, if we're yeah. honest. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think you're right. I think as an industry, you know, I'm, I'm sure lots of people are trying to find the way out, you know, how to yes. monetize uh, an online event is something that is, is quite alien to most people. They don't understand yeah. the metrics, the value of what they're putting in. But yes. I think right to your point that as an industry, when we're looking to produce these hybrid or online events, I think looking to TV or content creators yes. on platforms like YouTube, yes. I think that is the way to position it and, and kind of absolutely aspiration, right? Yeah, uh, love it. Yeah, so we're on the same page, Adam. So yeah, and, and it is about content creation and TV broadcasting. If you can take the best of those things, yeah. I think that's how you really start seeing the value, as you said, of virtual and hybrid events, even in B2B spaces where they think this can't be judged up. Yes. I, I'm convinced it can be. Well, <laughs> listeners, viewers, there's definitely a part two with the chance yeah. coming of what the virtual events look like in the future. Yeah. That. So we'll, we'll invite, absolutely invite you back as Event Mind to talk yeah. about in detail. But, but I was here to, to listen to about Diversity Alley. So what, what led you to launch Diversity Alley? It's a great question. So, you know, look, unfortunately, just by default, I'm used to being the only person of colour in most rooms that I'm in when it comes to business. Okay. And that didn't change when I kind of, properly came into the events industry and it didn't bother me per se because I was used to it but I did all, always wonder um, what the barriers were to seeing mm -hmm. more diversity visually anyway um, in the events industry because I knew that there were other people out there uh, because I was meeting them maybe <laughs> uh, and so I didn't understand why they may not have been on speakers panels or we didn't see them in the top 10 lists or anything like that and then also what I would say was that I did notice a difference when I engaged um, sales teams that looked more like everybody else right mm -hmm. and we saw a real difference in um the way we were able to generate warm leads and bring people over the line yeah. and so i started to talk about race more openly on my linkedin profile in the events industry mm -hmm. um pre-covid and it was just really interesting the feedback that i i was getting yeah. and then of course covid came along um then we had the george floyd incident globally yeah. and that really accelerated me to think okay here's an opportunity to offer something specifically for the events industry so prior to covid the corporations that i'd worked with were not event industry specific um but i I feel right now, and so does my co-founder Gabby, that now is a good time to be of use to the global events industry for the reasons that you and I have discussed, Adam. You know, the events industry is built on the qualities, you know, those tenets of community and collaboration. And what we do affects nearly every sector that you can mm -hmm. think of, right? And so this is the perfect industry to model diversity. And so that's why we decided that we would help the industry to do that by forming Diversity Ally. That's amazing. And I totally agree with you. I think having something specific for our sector to help support and network, you know, I'm, I'm connected to individuals that I know have been working with you on their yeah. own business and their own structure. And I think having 
a support network, a, a framework and, and an organization to work with on goals and challenges and things like that absolutely helps move things along because without that like you say maybe there's things outside of our industry but not necessarily event specific you know are speakers at events something specific absolutely it kind of only represents the events industry you don't get that in other sectors really do you so congratulations for launching it i think it's long (laughs) overdue thank you Um, in terms of a company participating or being a member then yes what does the framework look like like... what do they what do they what do they achieve what do they do how do they move the bar brilliant so that's a great question so the first thing that we we did is we really looked across the benchmarks right so these diversity and inclusion metrics what are they and we benchmark them globally across what other sectors are doing to work on diversity inclusion and then of course we created bespoke benchmarks for the events industry as you say because it is quite particular you know there's a really strong entrepreneurial nature within the events industry and we have to take that into account when sharing these benchmarks to support companies to move the needle internally so how the main thing that we do at diversity ally are two things at the moment one is we do an independent audit on a company's diversity and inclusion culture And you'll note that I use the word culture because diversity and inclusion isn't really about rules and regulations because we have enough of those in the workplace, right? In the events industry, we're used to that. Checklists, health and safety, et cetera, regulations. But diversity and inclusion culture is about the spirit of a company, that unspoken, unsaid atmosphere, environment, and the way we treat people, attitudes, ideas, and beliefs. And it's those things that impact the actual decisions of processes and systems that we put in place. And so what we've done is create a completely deep dive independent audit where we look at an organization's overall diversity and inclusion um, culture. And that includes things like pay scales, appraisal processes, Um, onboarding, recruitment, internal talent development. So a lot of the time, we're not actually necessarily talking about things like race and gender. We're talking about the culture within. Mm -hmm. How do you go about bringing people into your company? And what beliefs and ideas and values are you sharing with those employees? And how does that impact the way they treat other people? So that independent audit is really key. That's where you start. That's how you identify where you're at and where you need to get to. That's the first thing. And then secondary to that, what we do is we run workshops. We run workshops for senior um, leadership and also founding teams. Because in the events industry, we have a lot of great companies that still have their original founding team kind of really spearheading the company and so we do workshops which we call safe space conversations where there's no blame no shame it's about really getting to the the bones of it yeah where are you at what is your understanding of diversity and inclusion what is your understanding of equity what is your understanding of how we create healthy workplace cultures And we do that discreetly, confidentially with the senior leadership or with the founding team first. And then from those conversations, we're able to assess what the wider employee cohort needs in terms of training and development. It's really good to hear that you 
use the term safe spaces because I think as somebody who's very much in the industry I myself you know there's a and, and, and any business owner I think having those conversations maybe the reluctance there somewhat is because they don't want to put themselves out there in mm. case they get perceived to have it totally wrong right well, um, <laughs> which, yeah. which might be the case you know I, I, I'm trying to go through a process myself where I I kind of get away from some of the mis or, or look at some of maybe what my own opinions might be and are they misconceptions right mm. uh, which I'd love to get on to, to to come on to next but I think those safe spaces and having that open chat kind of like when a child grows up and they ask mum and dad those questions and yeah. kind of like they don't have no barriers they don't have no reluctance yeah. to come forward they just say it how they see it and you either yeah. agree with them or tell them why they might have got it wrong yeah. Um, yeah and I think that's you know that that kind of setup absolutely makes it a better way to to, to move absolutely. that absolutely I think and this is the thing right we know that 38 percent of employers don't feel comfortable talking about race in the workplace mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. all of the research and studies that we've 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 um, been able to obtain even the research that we've done to create our white papers people are not comfortable talking about race anyway <laughs> much less in the workplace mm. and it's really, really one of the biggest barriers to starting to talk about how we can create diversity of that kind in the events industry, which is why the safe space conversations are so crucial, but also tend to be the most impactful. Um, and so it's really, um, it takes bravery and some courage for senior leaders, people who are very proficient at their jobs, people who are successful in their field to take a moment out and reflect and think and challenge some of the ideas and beliefs that they might have. And sometimes that is uncomfortable. And as facilitators, our job is not to make it more comfortable. Our job is to help you keep uncovering those so that we can start to just readjust with facts, with data, but also maybe even some of the lived experience of some of your employees that you might be unaware of. And so, yes, they are safe-based conversations, but they do require true leadership to get into a space maybe where you are uncomfortable or maybe you don't know all the answers. And so you're in this space to, to, to learn, to listen. Well, as the events industry, we are used to being uncomfortable, so there should be <laughs> no problem with any of our leaders or business owners, etc kind of accepting that you know we mm. we are an industry that deals with like you say issues safety you know challenges all that kind of stuff yes i mentioned earlier that i i maybe have some of my own misconceptions could you share some of what you feel is a, a misconception um around mm. diversity inclusion you know you mentioned there that a lot of people maybe think about race Are there other things that kind of go along with those misconceptions? Yeah, sure. So, okay, if we take something like race specifically, um, I think one of the biggest conceptions we hear is that the best people get the job. Right, okay. Right? So we'd love to believe that that is true. And that is ideally what it should be. But unfortunately, when we look into the stats and the data and the research, there might be things uh, that we don't understand that we are unaware of that change the way we judge or measure someone before we've even hired them, Mm -hmm. which is why we don't end up hiring them. Okay. So, you know, there are some well-documented studies about people's names 
you know, you asked me how to pronounce my name before this call, right? But the fact is my name is not usual. And for many people, before they meet me, it might indicate that I am not English, right? Now, if you have then certain beliefs about people with names of a certain type, whether they be conscious, habitual, it does impact whether or not you choose to invite them, for example, to even be interviewed. Yep, yep. And then what happens if I turn up at the interview? Okay, I right now wear a head wrap. Part of that, a large part of that is cultural, mm-hmm. okay, as well as preference. What beliefs may you may, you may or may not have about me because I have turned up to the interview with a head wrap on, okay? Now, really, for the job that I'm interviewing for, none of that should actually matter. Of course, I'm interview- if, if I'm interviewing for a job where, you know, I've got to be maybe in a uniform or whatever, that might be slightly different. But generally speaking, none of those things should matter. My name, what I look like, how I chose to, you know, culturally um, represent myself. But the fact is, these things start to. And so when we say things like the best people get the jobs, then we have to look at in 2020 across every sector in the UK, at least 98% of those sectors have a predominantly white workforce. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting that you mentioned things like names because names change, right? (laughs) My wife is Dutch. She had a lovely Dutch name when she married me. She wanted to take my name. I didn't didn't force that. I I even had the discussion (laughs) about me taking her name or having a double-barreled name. Yes. That changed. So that would then automatically change somebody's perception of her, right? Absolutely. And headgear like I'm wearing a hat yes. like I love a hat like <laughs> I know lots of people that love hats yeah and to be fair fashion something or, or whether it's cultural or yes. otherwise is something that's extremely personal to the person yep. at the time isn't it like we all have our own look style the way that we like to present ourselves so it's really interesting that you suggest that those two things I can absolutely see that that yeah they can alter somebody's way of thinking or perceived thinking i i'm always taught never read a book by i was always taught never read a book by its cover yeah like because the way that the cover looks doesn't necessarily mean that represents the content inside yes i guess it's kind of like the same thing right with it is it is and so that's why there's been lots of experiments done where names are completely removed Mm -hmm. and we see different results and that shifts the bar right then so that that actually ends up with a with an outcome so back to your point about the best person gets the job well if the best person can't even get the interview they're not going to get the job are they it's, exactly it's happen. exactly is, is, is that again something how you help companies then yes. become my diverse by saying right do this do this do this take all of this information out i, see, I guess yes. in some ways yes. and just focus on on the core of, of what that person's doing exactly it's about reducing the amount of bias that might be there mm. right because we're only human And certain ideas and beliefs, if they've never been challenged, questioned or explored, are entrenched. And so they take a bit of time for us to change as individuals. But in the meantime, we can manually try to remove certain elements so that we can start to see more diversity in the types of applicants that we are shortlisting for interview, for example. Right. So, you know, and and the problem is with this is that the data speaks for itself. Right now in the UK, um, 1% of senior positions are held by women of colour across every single sector. And it's wow. 2020. Yeah. 
okay so the idea that the best people get the job because when you actually look at the statistics if you look specifically at women of color they are among the most educated okay. across the uk labor workforce those two things don't correlate yeah right and so we have to start looking at there are misconceptions that are almost uncontrollable that are in our minds when we recruit brilliant Ashanti, I want to also just go back a little bit to, there was a really burning question I had right at the beginning when you mentioned about speakers. Yes. You know, um, Event Tech Live has a call for papers. It's, it's wide open and then we yes. go through a process of shortlisting, but then it goes in front of the review panel. Hopefully, yes. ultimately, we out the best content for the show. Yes. Um, What's your advice to those listening? Because I would imagine most of our listeners, most of our viewers are involved in somewhat or some form of speaker content driven <laughs> events. Yes, yeah. What's your advice there? How can we, what, what's some easy practical stuff that maybe people can do to make sure A, that they are being inclusive, yeah. but if, if they identify that they're not, that they can do things do something to change different. that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm putting you on so, the spot there a little bit. I do <laughs> it's okay. So, you know, on a practical level, um, you know, right now LinkedIn is a buzz with mm -hmm. um, great people who are staying very visible, um, whether or not they're on furlough or they're still working for their company. Sometimes we just have to make a bit of effort. The same way event organizers make an effort with making sure that the, the menu has every kind of dietary requirement on it, for example. The same way they go out of their way to find the right decor, a particular kind of flower. You can do that when it comes to diversifying your speaker panels. Uh, if you search on LinkedIn, obviously you can't search by race, but if you look on LinkedIn or you go into some of the LinkedIn groups, the Facebook communities that are very healthy, you know, for event professionals, you will find people of different kinds. And we're not just yeah. talking about race. You know, you might be looking at disability inclusion. You might be looking at more of a gender spread. Yeah. You know, they are out there. Now, one of the practical things that Diversity Ally is doing is making sure we have connections to a black and brown speaker directory um, that will make it easier for yeah. those who are, you know, planning these content and speaker driven events to at least consider diversifying that panel and you know i think the real thing here is understanding why it matters yeah. yeah right because once you understand why it matters and what the benefits are to your event as well you will make the effort to do it it's the same way now we don't only have meat you know menus yeah okay yeah. We now have vegetarian and vegan and gluten-free, et cetera, et cetera. Why? Because it means attendees who have those dietary requirements or preferences come along, they enjoy it, they stay, they come again. Yeah. So the real issue here is why does it even matter? Well, it's because the audiences and the communities and the clients we serve um, reflect that diversity that we don't have currently on speaker panels. That's amazing. I, I love the idea of the directory to help people yes. and anybody listening, if you want to engage with Ashanti, we're going <laughs> Get to put in touch. It. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I did it the same bit, right? I got introduced to you through Tamar, but I yes. was aware of you on um, Tamar is from Gleaning. Give her a shout yes. out. Yes. Um, we, you know, we were connected on social media and, and that's how that network effect can work. Right? If you reach out to the right people, they can put you in touch with the people yes. that you need to speak to. 
Absolutely. And I think Tamar is a brilliant example. And I think it's brilliant that you've even brought her up. You know, she is a great example of someone who from the very beginning has, you know, shared, you know, she really has said, hey, go and speak to so-and-so. Or mm-hmm. have you considered, you know, she has demonstrated what we call allyship. You know, yeah. she's seen that need for more diversity in beyond gender, which in and itself is a challenge in the events industry um, when it comes to maybe senior positions with the industry. But she's seen that need and she's seen where she has a sphere of influence. She's, yep. And therefore she shared and said, hey, this is something that I'm learning about and discovering. Have a chat with them as well. She's a very good example of doing what she can in her sphere of influence. Yeah, and and you know I know Tamar through Events Out Live and working with her across the yeah. news. And let's be honest about it, like especially around tech, diversity is something that needs mm. to be spoken about. We have some very diverse companies like Shock Logic, yes. amazing diversity within their organisation, yeah. right at the roots of of who they are, really. Yes, and then others, not to take anything away from them or point point fingers, but very much like you say, white male led, white male yeah. makeup that kind of stuff and and maybe it's something that again we can hopefully that they will take a look at and see how they Mm, mm. I mean one thing I will say Adam is that look you can't help who you are the same way I can't change the color of my skin if you know you can't change who you are and I always say that but what you can do is recognize the power that you have because of what you look like right for me as an able-bodied person there are advantages that I have and to deny them would be silly right so where i can as an able-bodied for example event supplier if we're choosing a venue that's one of the things we talk about at diversity ally a lot you know does this venue properly accommodate and include disabled visitors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i could think well i don't have any i do as an able-bodied person that's something i have the luxury of not thinking about but when we're planning events, we could think, okay, what, what are the accessibility points here? Yeah, yeah. How seamless and smooth and discreet can we make this experience for somebody who might be a disabled visitor? And it's that thing, you know, if you are a white male, you do have power and some um, sphere of influence. So you don't have to feel guilty or bad about that being white, the fact that you may have started a business that is now growing, um, uh, you know, is, is flourishing. That's not something to feel bad about at all. Yeah, I totally What you can do now is as you grow your team, you can think about, well, how can we bring more diversity into our employee group? As you do your marketing, how can we demonstrate an inclusive culture in our imagery? Yeah. It's that's where you start seeing your sphere of influence and thinking about okay what can we do to change the overall narrative so from our conversation for the last 25 30 minutes or so, <laughs> my takeaways are that we need to talk about it but more importantly we need to measure change have open conversations yes. engage with others within our own community outside of our community engage with platforms and networks like diversity ally which sounds yeah. like a, a, a fantastic initiative and again i said it at the beginning it's something that clearly long overdue within mm. our sector um i guess then my next question for you to kind of bring it all together is i think with diversity if, if i'm not wrong there is a code of conduct right yes so yeah. what 
you yeah. may have covered some of it already, but what yeah. are the key principles of that code yeah. of conduct that I guess anybody can adopt? Yeah, um, absolutely. Right. So here's the thing, you know, guidance, we believe in supported accountability at Diversity Ally, right? So those benchmarks were created to support companies starting to become more accountable about mm -hmm. their kind of internal culture. Now we cover some main areas um, when it comes to those benchmarks. Um, the most obvious ones are things like hiring and recruitment. Yep. Um, so we look right from the moment you start marketing new posts, for example, to the moment when you bring those candidates through to your onboarding process. So we talk about recruitment and hiring. The next set of benchmarks cover developing talent because this is the area that sometimes companies become unstuck in, right? That's why we see those statistics that say 92%, 98% of this workforce is predominantly white because it's in this development of talent stage um, that we're not looking at the processes and systems that might be disadvantaging certain groups of people. Yeah. So developing talent. Um, and then the next section is about your culture internally. Um, and then we talk about your partners and suppliers. So I would really suggest that people go onto the website because there's a totally free and in-depth um, section that takes you through each of those big areas. And for you as a company, I always say, there might be an area that you're okay on right now. So maybe you're okay on your partners and suppliers, but you know you need to work on your internal talent development. That's okay. Just go to that section and start looking through the pointers that we've highlighted um, that you could start looking at in more detail. And one of the things I really want to share, I guess as well, Adam, is that doing this work is is not a political statement yep. and i spent a lot of time talking about this because although the george floyd incident and the subsequent black lives matter protesting has definitely gone global mm -hmm. um organizational health is not a political statement no. it's just the right thing to do and what companies and i think as i say the events industry has taken a real knock you know, over this COVID period. And if we want to reignite it, if we want to get kick start that economy again, we have to start thinking now about attracting diverse talent and making sure that our current workplaces are happy, healthy places for everyone. Totally and that is the key here. It's it's not a political statement at all. It's more about how how sustainable do you want your company to be? How happy of a place do you want it to be? Yep. You know, how happy do you want your employees and your clients to be to work with you? And times are moving. When we think about these younger generations who are coming into the industry, their expectations of their employers and their work life is different. Mm -hmm. They want to work in value laden places and places that they see those values being lived as opposed to just on the wall or on a branded t-shirt, uh, you know, a great coaster, etc. So our diversity allies help to support the events industry to be a model for this kind of thing. Um, because whatever happens, the, you know, the climate that we're in will push every sector towards this place. 
I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really interesting that you finish on that point because like you said previously, we are connected to every business sector, every industry in every part of the world, no matter <laughs> yes. whether that's Mumbai or yeah. New Zealand or the Antarctica. Yeah. There are events everywhere for every sector, every industry, every yeah. every niche. And yeah. if we can't um, have it at the grassroots core of our sector, then that will ultimately affect every other sector that we touch. Yeah. Um, so it's our responsibility to have that at the core of our principles. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks no, for having us. <laughs> anybody listening to this podcast is obviously going to want to check you out. They're probably going to want to connect up with you and ask their own questions or check out the Diversity Ally, Ally website. I yeah. came that wrong. I do apologize. <laughs> it's okay. um, what's the best place to connect up with you and yeah, what's, the, sure. what's the website for Diversity? So it's diversityally.co.uk. So come onto the website, um, contact us through the website, or you can come and find Gabby or I on LinkedIn. We're always mm -hmm. hanging out on there as well. Awesome, awesome. Ashanti, thank you very much for taking the time. I'm sure this is not the last time that we're going to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd very much like to keep up to date um, with Event Industry News and you about people that have been included. Maybe we can invite one of your members onto yes. the podcast at a later date to talk yeah. about their own journey through it. I sure. That would give a nice balance and another kind of way to look at it for, for people. Brilliant. Um, everybody that's listening or watching today, if you've enjoyed today's content, please connect it with Ashanti. Please give it a like and a share. Help this content spread through the sector so that we can all become better at our jobs and a better industry. Ashanti, thank you very much for uh, coming. Thank you. Today. And like I said, we'll get you back for Event Mind and talk. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. No problem. Mm -hmm.